Hello and welcome to another wonderful day. Thank you so much for being a part of Five Alive with us. We are honored to have you talking with us of how we can grow in Christ. And when we're discussing growing in Christ, one of the topics that has to come up is the topic of temptation. Because temptation always is a way to distract us from living with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I want to ask you guys, what is temptation? What's it? Bad for me. I get bad for me. What is bad for me? I give in so easily. It's a music group. No, thank you. Yeah, the temptations. The temptations? Yes. Mm-hmm. According to you, what is temptation? Enticement. Okay, great. Good word. Who's vulnerable to enticement? Who's vulnerable to temptation? We Anybody. all are. Everybody. Everybody in the whole entire world is? You mean nobody's better than somebody else when it comes to temptation? No, everybody. Everybody's tempted. Everybody. Everybody. Xavier, he's ready for Memphis to everybody. win the playoffs because they said it's Memphis Grizzlies versus everybody. <laughs> everybody. Everybody. And even they have towels made. Everybody. It's E triple R Y. Everybody. So everyone is vulnerable to temptation everyone can be enticed to be tempted to do something is temptation a sin well giving into temptation is sin correct but if you overcome the temptation then it is not sin correct absolutely that's a very important thing for us when we're discussing growth in christ is for us to recognize the fact that being tempted or being in a place where there is a temptation that looms and entices us to try and be defeated in our stand for christ and to give in to temptation that in itself is not a sin We have to recognize that because sometimes we feel guilty even in the moments of being tempted. And that is not the moment for the guilt or for the shame to overcome us and make us feel as if we're sinful. Jesus himself experienced temptation. Mallory has for us Matthew chapter 4 verse 1. Then was Jesus led up of the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil and yet jesus himself never sinned hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 for we do not have a high priest jesus who cannot sympathize with us in our weakness but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin Jesus faced temptations, but the temptations he faced in and of themselves were not sin. The temptations are temptations. They're enticements. They're ways to try and get us to be led away from the will of God. They are no different than Adam and Eve being tempted to take of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The temptation was from the serpent, and they were therefore tempted Giving into the temptation is when they sinned, when they took the fruit, when they bit into the fruit. And of course, there's a big theological debate over those two things. However, the point is, is that the sin occurred upon the completion of fulfilling the temptation and no longer just being tempted, but actually being sinful. Jesus never sinned. He was tempted, but he never sinned. And if you want to see more of Jesus's temptation, you can read the book of Matthew chapter 4. Now, nowhere does God promise to ever remove temptation from us. We are all tempted, and while on this earth, we will always face temptations. 
Is there an age that we all of a sudden age out of being tempted? No. No. If we live on this earth to be 101 years old, will there still be temptations that we will face? Yes. yes. If we live to be 200 years old, and now I'm being a little ludicrous with that age, but if we live to 200 years of age, will we still face temptations? Yes. So with that being understood, that temptations are always going to be on the face of this earth, and they are always going to be ways that Satan and his uh, uh, demons and minions are trying to lead us astray from following after Christ with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Those temptations are constantly going to hit us in the face. How specific is a temptation to an individual? For instance, what tempts me? Is it the same thing that tempts Mallory? No. No. We all have different temptations. But some of us have similar temptations mm -hmm. as well. Correct. Yeah. Some of us definitely have similar temptations, but we're all tempted by different things. Yes. So we don't all fully, the, the thing I'm trying to get at is, is a lot of people have this struggle with, well, if you don't understand where I'm coming from because you didn't go through what I did, then you don't really understand me. And that's a, that's a lie of the enemy trying to get us to not overcome our temptations because we do have similarities in our temptations, yet they are all completely different. So as an individual, my temptations are not the same as Xavier's. My temptations are not the same as Blair's or as Mallory's or even as the listeners that are listening to this podcast. For example, I may be more susceptible to being enticed to lie as a natural response to a question because me, Matt Rolance, lying was a sin in my pre-salvation life that I was most likely to commit. Yet lying may not be something that tempts you. So when I was younger, before I ever came to faith in Jesus, my biggest sin, the thing that I felt most convicted of the day I gave my heart to Jesus, and the thing that I battle mentally with the most, even today, 25 plus years later, is immediately in my mind when somebody asks a question or when somebody tries to push me a little bit in order to get something done or in order to get a job completed or something like that, my immediate response is, okay, I could lie to get myself out of this in my mind. Yet, because I have followed after Christ for so long, though that's the first reaction in my mind, especially like, for instance, this week, somebody had sent me an email and asked me to do something. And when I read the email, I read that there were two parts to the email. So I accomplished both of those things that were asked of me. Well, the person that was asking me to do that, my, my business partner, he asked me to do that. And yet he wasn't, he was just giving me an example with the second half of the email, but he wasn't specifically clear in that. So I executed both emails exactly the same. And he called me and he's like, oh no, we made a mistake. We didn't need to do it that way. I just needed you to contact the first person in the email. The second part was just for an example. And I said, well, to me, that wasn't clear. And in my mind, I was wanting to immediately blame him and immediately come up with a solution to lie to get out of the situation. However, my reaction was, it's okay, I'll handle this situation. And I ended up finding a way to find another customer to deal with the situation that our emails were dealing with so that that way we could still be in complete communication and contact and the lie didn't have to come into place. What I needed to do was I needed to just take a few moments, think, look through a couple more emails and the solution presented itself. 
However, when I was young, when I was immature, my immediate reaction would have been to lie to get out of the situation. Oh, I didn't do that. That never happened. I don't know what you're talking about. Our Savior does promise to help us overcome temptation. Meanwhile, we can conquer the temptation, be changed, and no longer have to be a slave to sin. And every time that temptation shows itself to us, and as enticing as it is, we have the power and ability to overcome it. 1 John chapter 2, verse 14. I have written unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you, young men, because ye are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. Excellent. Another scripture reveals to us that when we are tempted, a way of escape will be provided. That's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape, that you may be able to endure it. All right, notice a few things in this passage of scripture. Number one, a way of escape is not promised to be easy. It's not always going to be easy when you're tempted to say, I refuse to do that. Sometimes the temptation is, so, I mean, enticement means like, to basically grab you around the head and almost force you to do something. That's how strong an enticement can be. And that in and of itself, when we're talking about temptation, means to refuse to be to give in to temptation is not an easy thing. It's something that's very enticing, something that we want to do. We want to give in to it. And so the way of escape that God is providing for us is never promised to be easy. Second thing we have to recognize is the escape of temptation is not to make you comfortable just because God provides you a way of escape doesn't mean that you are the next time tempted with that same thing, all of a sudden it's going to get easier. I think a lot of people try and preach a gospel that makes it sound like, oh, well, if you say no to the temptation today, it'll be easier tomorrow and it'll be easier next week and it'll be easier next month. But the older I've gotten, the more I've recognized that that's not true. Some of the things that have tempted me in this life right now at 43 years of age are just as strong of a temptation as they were when I was 15 years of age. And they didn't all of a sudden just minimize and disappear out of my life. They wouldn't be temptations for me if they did. And so therefore, as a result, God is saying, I will provide a way of escape for you, but that does not mean that your life is going to all of a sudden become super routine and comfortable for you. Number three, we have to recognize that we choose between the sin and following God's escape plan. We choose that. Nobody chooses it for us. Can I choose a way of escape for you, Xavier, whenever you're tempted by something? No. Can you choose, Blair, can you, can you stop me from giving in to temptation? No. Who has to do it? Yourself through the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, absolutely. And number four, in accordance with 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, when we read that, when Xavier read that passage of scripture for us, the fourth thing that I see here is um, this way of escape is not a one-time option, but is continually provided for those of us who are faithful. Is there a moment that we can become so bitter-hearted that we keep on giving into the temptation and giving into the temptation and giving into the temptation, even though we're in Christ, that all of a sudden we don't think that that's a temptation anymore, but it's just something that is a part of Christianity. And then we just accept it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Have we noticed that in the 20th and 21st century? Yes. And I'm not going to call any specific sin out, but I'm just saying in general, I've noticed in the church through my short time, my vapor of life on this earth, I've noticed people who have been given into temptation and they constantly give into it instead of refusing it, instead of following God's escape plan. And all of a sudden to them, that's no longer a temptation because now it's just a part of who they are and they want that to be combined with who Christ is. And can I tell you, that's not the way, what Christ came to do for us. We're supposed to continue to live in complete conviction and repentance. We talked about two weeks ago unto the Lord through the power of the Holy Spirit. And if we are no longer convicted of the thing that we once were when we were younger, it's highly possible that we've just allowed that bitter, a bitter root to take place inside of our heart, that the temptation is a part of our life. And what we need to do is we really need to get on our knees and we really need to repent and confess that sin unto the Lord and ask the Holy Spirit to soften our hearts so that that way we can again have that convicting power to give us the strength that we need to provide the way of escape. Number five, when it comes to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, I see that if we choose one time to escape the temptation, Scripture does not promise the temptation will be banished forever, yet we will have to continue to choose to escape the temptation while we're on this earth. These are important things for us to recognize that temptation desires to have us it desires to control us. Sin wants to be our master and we its slave, yet we must not give in to temptation. Proverbs chapter 4, verses 13 through 15. This provides some practical advice for us. Xavier has that for us. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it, and do not go on it. Turn away from it, and pass on. So when temptation comes, we turn to God in prayer and we ask for deliverance. We walk away from evil. We take advantage of our moments of corporate Bible study and worship as a group in a church, listening to podcasts, studying God's word, gathering our family together to discuss the Bible, maybe over dinner, maybe over lunch, maybe over a maybe over an evening uh, where we're sitting around the TV and all of a sudden a topic comes up and we can pause the TV show or turn the TV show off or the movie off and we can then discuss it. Being ready to corporately talk about it is a way to overcome temptation. Find some people that are good advisors who will help you find a way of escape when pressures of temptation then later can cloud your vision. And have some questions for us. Luke chapter 22, we're going to read verses 40 and verse 46, and we're going to discuss how did Jesus tell the disciples to overcome temptation? So Luke chapter 22, verse 40 and 46, Blair's going to read that for us. And the question is, how did Jesus tell the disciples to overcome temptation? And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. Verse 46, and he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. So the question again is, how did Jesus tell the disciples to overcome temptation? Prayer. Prayer. Often we think prayer is a one-way ticket to get what we want from God. Oh God, I'm sick today. Oh God, my family member has uh, COVID. Oh Lord, I need your help to find the right job. Lord, I need your 
uh, help to find the right pathway for my future education. Lord, and that's what we think of prayer, but here Jesus is saying that we need to pray to overcome temptation. How often is that a part of our prayer life? How often do we say in our daily prayer, Lord, help me to overcome temptation? Remember when Jesus taught his disciples how to pray? How does the prayer go? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Even in Jesus's prayer for us, he encourages us to overcome temptation as a regular part of our prayer life. And yet it's one of those things that we seem to neglect when it comes to our personal prayer time. Lead me not into temptation. Were the disciples individually alone to deal with this situation or were they together in uh, the passage, Luke chapter 22, verses 40 and 46? They were together. They were together and yet they gave into temptation and fell asleep. If that's a difficulty for us as a corporate body to do, how much more difficult would it be for us as individuals to overcome a temptation by ourselves. That's why we have each other. That's why we have the church. Is the church perfect? No. no. Are we as individuals perfect? No. No, but who is? God. Christ Jesus is perfect and he will help us through all these things. Hebrews chapter two, verses nine, and then 17 and 18. Blair has that again for us. But we see him for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Verses 17 and 18. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make appropriation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Who helps us when we're being tempted? God. Does he understand exactly what we're going through? Yes. And so what makes it so difficult for us to confess our temptation to him or ask him to take the temptation away from us? Sometimes we feel like we deserve the temptation, and then other times we don't feel qualified enough to be in the presence of the Lord. And then there's just other various reasons. Sometimes it could be just an, an excuse just to, if I'm not harming anybody, but yet I'm self-gratificating my own self, then what's the harm in that? Hmm. And don't we also, as a society, try and level off sins? Like there's different levels to sin. Yeah. Right. Sin is sin. In Christ, we recognize that sin is sin. Mm -hmm. In the world, they try and say, like you were just saying, if it's a crime that I'm committing, like if I'm stealing from somebody, well, that's a greater sin than the sin of overeating. Mm -hmm. Because gluttony is a sin according to scripture. Mm -hmm. Or if that person is doing unnatural sex acts, and that is the gamut of everything. The desire of God is for one man to be with one woman, and that is it. Husband and wife, done. Anything else is what I'm talking about as far as unnatural sexual relations. And we look at that sometimes in different levels. Oh, well, if that person had an adulterous affair because, oh, well, but did you know what his wife did? No wonder he had an affair. Or vice versa. Oh, do you know what the husband was doing to him? No wonder she had an affair. 
Like we, we try and find ways to justify the temptation and the sin. And yet that's not at all what helps us overcome sin. Christ is the one that helps us overcome sin. So Xavier has Ephesians chapter 6, verses 13 through 18. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the Spirit with, with all prayer and supplication to the end. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. What are the six pieces of the armor of God? And, and, and not just like the sword of the Spirit is one of them. But what is the sword of the Spirit? It is the word of God. Mm -hmm. So what are the other five? according to this passage of scripture, that we guard ourselves with. The helmet of salvation. Helmet of salvation. Belt of truth. Belt of truth. Breastplate of righteousness. Mm -hmm. Shield of faith. Mm -hmm. Gospel shoes. Shoes, yeah. And what do they provide? Peace. Peace. Yeah. That's all of them. Yes. We were listening to an old song today by Keith Green, and he stops in the middle of the song and he says, you know, we've got to, when we're putting on the armor of God, we must recognize that it doesn't say anywhere in the Bible, blessed are the obnoxious, but instead, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who suffer, blessed are those who are persecuted. And in this regard, what we have is we have temptation that comes at us. And when we overcome the temptation, we are blessed. That doesn't mean that we then go around and brag about it to everybody. Because again, remember the temptation is still out there and alive, desiring to consume us and entice us back into old habits and old lifestyles. James chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, Blair has that for us. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, You sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, You stand over there, or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? I think we have. And in accordance with what James is bringing out to us here in this passage of Scripture, what do difficulties, trials, and temptations do for us? Do we recognize them? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. It's easy to make an accusation. It's easy to make a stereotype mm -hmm. without even realizing the harm that that could bring to a person. Yeah. When James is bringing up the way we treat people, the rich man, we say, hey, take my place. But to the poor man, hey, you sit down here at my feet. Can we see a representation of that in our, in our daily lives? where that is the attitude of us. And yet James is calling us out saying, hey, we're not supposed to act like this because what are we supposed to be doing? Love all as Christ loves all. Yeah. I and mean, that's what we need to be striving to do. Yeah, so when we watch somebody that gives in to temptation, is it acceptable for us to then all of a sudden have a 
bad opinion of them. No, because we all deal with temptations. We all deal with it. Yeah. And what one person's temptation may be different for somebody else, but that doesn't mean to lamb blast them and immediately say you're dying and going to hell because that's not true because Christ died for our sins. Christ died for that. I mean, if there's true repentance, Christ's love covers all. Yeah, absolutely. And so it's it's easier to see what someone else is doing and make tons of accusations against them than it is to self-reflect and look at your own self mm. and go, ooh, I got a lot going on inside of me that isn't good. And our secrets and our secret sins will be found out. Right. And what about the whole rumor mill? Doesn't that feed into our desire to look at other people's sin and giving into temptation as a way to justify our own actions and make ourselves feel better? Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. And isn't that exactly what we're doing when we say to the rich guy, hey, take my seat, but to the poor guy, hey, why don't you sit down there? Sit down in the dirt. Because mm-hmm. we're, we're making judgments in that regard, and yet who's the one that's the ultimate judge of all? God is. There's only one more passage of scripture, and that's James chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. I have that. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Often, we like that passage, the second half of Verse seven, resist the devil and he will flee from you. And we always forget to look at that first part of it, which is submit to God. So when I submit, what am I submitting to him? It says submit yourself. So that's submitting all of who you are. You're submitting your evil and your good all to God and giving full control to him. And then you can resist the devil and he will flee from you. Yeah, absolutely. And when I... Resist temptation. What am I resisting? Just one temptation or all temptations? All. Every single temptation that would ever desire to have me is what I'm resisting. Mm -hmm. So what does a daily life of submission to God and resisting temptation look like? Staying in continual prayer and fellowship with God all day long. And whenever you do make a mistake, acknowledge it, ask for forgiveness, and move on and don't do it again. Yeah. So so scripturally, this is what it looks like. Practically, what it looks like is waking up in the morning, being thankful. Oh, thank you, God, for this wonderful day that I have. Giving praise to him for it. And then starting your day off. And then all of a sudden, you have a temptation that comes against you. I always think the first temptation is, is getting out of bed. Not hitting the snooze button. Right. Do I get out of bed or do I keep sleeping? (laughs) Sure, sure. Because laziness is definitely a temptation Mm -hmm. to to not do anything. is definitely a part of slothfulness and and leading away from God's plan for our lives. Yeah, that's great. Great point. So we get up. We thank God for our day. We've overcome our first temptation. We thank him for it. Thank you for helping me overcome that. Now, when we're walking through our day and we go to the office, of course, with COVID, it's not been as easy to go to the office. We're working from home. Um, But in general, we start our work in that day and all of a sudden a temptation faces us. Do we stop practically? Do Do we stop honestly 
and go, oh my goodness, this is a temptation and I cannot give into it. And then we just kind of out loud in front of everybody, especially in the office, go, oh, this is a temptation and I can't give into it. I'm going to pray right now. And then we just start praying in the office. Do we do that? Some, Practically? Some people, some do. people do. Some people don't. I mean, to each their own. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And so we have these these options of 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 life, but how are we really overcoming the temptation? Because just because we do that in that moment in the office, or just because we do that in that moment at work, does that mean that we're really doing it? As Blair said earlier, in the secrecy of our own selves, when we're all alone and the only one there is us and God. I had a teacher in seventh grade. She was from the Virgin Islands and her accent was so cool. And she was definitely a firm believer in the Lord. And I was, of course, in a public school. And my English teacher, she dropped a pile, a stack of papers. Say she was presenting something to the class and she had a stack of papers in her hand and all the papers fell down at her feet. We were like, oh, Man, she's gonna she's gonna cuss. She's gonna let's see what she does. And she one by one picked up each paper and she read off the names on the paper. And she's like, "Thank you, Jesus, for Tim, and thank you, Jesus, for Jennifer, and Lord, I just want to thank you for Blair." And and so as she was picking up each paper, she was praying over our names. And then she looked at the class and goes. Well, obviously the Lord knew I was going to spill all those papers all over the floor. And you probably thought I was going to react one way. But the Lord knew I needed to call your name out today. And you needed to know that someone was praying for you. So through that year of seventh grade English class, there were those in my class that would do things purposely to see if they could upset our teacher. And she took it all with stride and she always gave glory to God even if people put like tacks in her seat or rearranged her calendar she would always know the one who did it and she would never call them out verbally but she would say whoever did this and you know who you are you will see me after class because with these words God has convicted you that you have been wrong to me and your sin will find you out and sure enough, after each class that somebody tried to do something to her, they would come after class and they would be, I'm so sorry. And then, of course, a punishment would come, whether it's a in-school suspension or whether it's a cleaning of the chalkboard or whether it's a cleaning up of the mess that one had done. And so by, like, second semester, the prank stopped. The accusations against her stopped. Parents were trying to call in to get her removed because of her faith in Christ at a public school. She stood firm in her belief in God. And even though her appearance of being a teacher there from the Virgin Islands, she became a little less of saying whom she believed in, but you knew she had a close relationship with Christ. Mm-hmm. And so I, I always appreciated that. In seventh grade, I always loved the, the journaling part in seventh grade of like where you journal out your day, but your teacher reads it, reads your handwriting, things of that nature. And I, being a believer in Christ, would write to her, thank you for your strong stance in a public school setting and uh, representing who Christ Jesus is to you. I have firmly 
enjoyed your outlook of your relationship to Christ. And she would write back, I truly valued that as a student. As an impressionable young student, absolutely. Because it makes you think, like, what would you do in that situation? If I was, if I reversed my roles and I was from a whole different area and walk of life, not a born American citizen, being in a classroom full of 13 to 14 year old students, mm -hmm. you know, and it, and, and my accent is a little different. My color is a little different. I'm teeny tiny in stature. I'm not really tall. And I, I would just kind of self-reflect. What would I do in that same position? Yeah. So definitely that these are the moments of corporate worship that help us through temptations as reflections like Blair's talking about right there or seeing the example of somebody else played out for us that helps us to in those quiet times that we're by ourselves uh, all alone and the temptation of whatever it is presents itself. These are kinds of ways that God provides ways of escape as we have those in, the, in our mind as well. The temptations presenting itself a story like what Blair just said is presenting itself at the same time, and we have the choice. Which one am I going to do? Am I going to give in to the temptation, or am I going to follow the escape plan of God for my life so that that way I can continue to honor Him with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength? And when we're doing that in secret, it will show itself when we're in public every single time. There's no doubt about that. Is there anything else you guys have along the lines of temptation, dealing with temptation, regular day of, of life? and overcoming temptation. Well, Lord, we thank you for helping us to be overcomers. We thank you for giving us strength and the power to follow your escape plan, to submit our everything unto you, to resist the devil, see him flee, and to not be double-minded people, but to be people who are single-minded, individually following him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Mallory, will you close us in prayer? Thank you, Jesus, for this day and for every single day in that we will try our best to not be tempted and do the right thing. And everyone shall be safe during COVID. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.